Yeah! Welcome to Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that brings you the most exciting string players in the world. I'm Matt Bell, your host. This is episode 52, if you can believe that. And we haven't even scratched the surface of all the cool players out there doing amazing things. Anyone who tells you there's nothing good happening in the music world right now is listening to all the wrong people. There's so many talented people. Uh, Hey, if you want to do us a favor before we go any farther, please subscribe, review, and comment on whatever platform you're listening on. That helps us a ton. We'll wait. No, 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 really, go ahead. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, 21 stars. Yep. Matt's the coolest. Matt has two T's. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm a dork. Uh, listen, I first discovered our guest for today on social media, probably Facebook. Uh, her videos have awesome playing and singing, of course. But I think I was really captured by her infectious energy. Ariella Zeitlin truly loves being alive, and you can totally feel that in her music. It's contagious, too, which is, I think, one reason why people really love what she does. It's impossible to listen to her sing or play and just not feel good. As a perfect example, we're listening to her single, Dublin Day, right now. If this doesn't make you want to dance... I, I got nothing. Ariella came and hung out at my house in Raleigh over Halloween and even went trick-or-treating with my family. We were hoping to get an interview then, but we got a little busy playing music. Then I was going to go to her house and hang out and interview her there, but, you know, COVID. So we did this interview right after the start of quarantine by Skype, each of us in our own studios. She had just put her kids to bed and was trying to collect her thoughts when we started. We're talking about our kids and distance learning, and you'll hear. We'll just jump in in the middle of something. You'll figure it out. So sit back, grab your favorite beverage, and enjoy my chat with Ariella Zeitlin, rock star violinist. <laughs> I can't. I can't handle it. It's, like, so hard for me because, um, you know what? I'm a musician. Like, I have been a musician since I was a kid. I was never good at school. Like, never. You know, my parents pulled me out of school and homeschooled me between third and ninth grade because, like, I was failed out of third grade, basically. And, uh, and like, I had this, you know, I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and, like, that's what I did. You know, it's just this, I don't know, there's a certain personality or whatever. Yeah, they didn't cover, like, how to teach third grade in rock star school. Right. They don't they didn't teach that in rock star school. Oh, man. Isn't that where you went? You went to rock star school? Obviously. That's obviously where I went. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So. so I was just watching your your latest uh, original video here again a few minutes ago. Teal? Yeah. Let's talk about that tune. All right. Let's talk about it. So First, I got to ask you the quick, that pizzicato thing. Teach me, oh, great one. <clears throat> you mean the ricochet? Uh, the pits thing that the, there's like this like rapid fire pits thing that you were doing. Um, I knew I knew about the ricochet bow, but there was a pit, whether it was an effect. That no, was that making, was like that is was, that a, that a was really high effect. delay? It was a, yeah, it was a delay. 
Yeah, it was cool, right? I was like, man, how did she get her fingers to do that? Oh, that, yeah. Dump, ba dump, that thing? Yeah. 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 Was, yeah, there's like, in the pits thing, the very first one is like, bah, 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 bah. right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that that was just a, an effect. <laughs> That's killer. Thank I you. Love that. I really appreciate that. I, I have had such a crazy journey on this, like, EP thing. Like, not EP, the album. Because, like, I, uh, I worked with a bunch of different producers, and, um, and certain things took longer, and things took shorter, and then I had people that, you know, understood what I wanted more, and people who understood what I wanted less, and then I had, you know, that one actually, it took us, like, six months in the studio, we basically wrote it together, and I was just like, I can't, I can't work like this, um, and and then I and I worked with other people and they pushed me in a certain direction and I didn't necessarily feel like that was you know me and so difficult like if if you really want something to be your own sound you really need to like learn the production on your own and be able to like do your own production which is something that I'm really struggling with because it's something that I really never learned so I'm teaching myself able to now but I don't have as much time as I had when I was young so if you're listening people from the universe yeah. and you're young um take the time to learn the things that you know are important to you for i think for a lot of people it's not so important for them that their sound is their sound um but for me that's really that was really important especially when i was you know doing my album so my album is basically finished and i was planning on releasing it in june and then i kind of ran out of money now with corona <laughs> With I had all this stuff planned and I had to cancel things and and uh, so you know it's I've got a bunch of stuff that's kind of sitting and I have some you know stuff that's gotten produced that hasn't uh, that I haven't paid for so I don't have the final product um, so uh, I'm hopefully like things will kind of you know finish and and will you know be afloat a little bit later and then uh, and then I'll be able to finish the album so that's where I'm at right now with the album so. So tell me about the writing process for that song and, you know, what does it mean? What is it about? What was the, uh, you know, working with the producers? How, what, what was the grand vision for this whole thing? Okay, so, so basically I, as a musician and as an artist, have taken a lot of different directions and done a lot of different types of projects. I come from kind of a bluegrass fiddly family, so I've done a lot of work playing blues and rock with different bands and playing backup and um, when I came to the point that I wanted to do my own writing and I wanted to come out with my own album then really I wanted to kind of make uh, a fusion sound that uh, I felt sounded kind of my own um, and incorporating kind of a more like bluesy element but also with like I really wanted them I really wanted my album to be high energy um, uh, because I do a lot of corporate performing and I wanted, you know, I wanted people to bring me, my dream was that people will fly me around the world to play my own high energy stuff for gigs, which, um, which has happened, which has been very, very cool. And, uh, unfortunately now I've, I've, I've had a bunch of things canceled because of Corona, but, um, hopefully yeah, things, we will, all have. things will come back up. And I have, uh, I have another really cool music video um, for another track that's it I I released the track thinking that I would release the video at the same time and then um, life happened so I didn't actually release the video mm. yet but that's for Dublin Day and that's on Spotify so um, we can play that also 
for everybody because yeah. uh, that's a really cool one. That's really Irish inspired that I can of camp. I, that was originally what I was like thinking album is that I was like, I want to play Irish music with kind of like dubstep beats, like kind of, you know, dance beats. I was like, that's like the sound that I want. And then it just went wherever it went, you know? It's funny. That's the funny thing about, like, inspiration is that kind of it pulls you this way and it pulls you that way and it pulls you that way. And you're like, oh, this is a cool idea and this is a cool idea and this is, you know, people are throwing out ideas and then and then things come together and they sound really cool. So when you go into the studio for this song, Teal, have you got, like, a, you've got sort of a, a head melody in your head that, you know, sort of like in jazz, we'd call that the head. If you got the the melody for that main part in your head and then you sort of let it write itself from there or how does how does your process work so my process has been basically that i have come up with some kind of some kind of kind of basic melodic structure and then i've come into the i brought it that to the studio i've played it in and the and the producer and i have kind of talked about how we'll make that develop and then they'll come come up with a new sketch, and then I'll rewrite everything. <laughs> and then I'll come back, and we'll and we'll continue working on the production. And then often I do five or six rewrites um, until I'm like, okay, I like this, and I like the way that this happens. And uh, so that's I mean that's more or less how the process has worked up until now, which because because uh, I kind of it's it's funny because when you have a kind of vision but you don't you've never done it before, like I've worked in so many different types of productions for other people that I had a kind of vision about what that would look like for me. But then when it's your own thing and it's personal and it's so important to you that it sounds the way that you want it to sound, then the, the process becomes much more intensive and much more, um, much more flexible, I would say, because you're kind of, you're like recreating it every time. Um, in order to kind of create like a new thing. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, so that's very cool. Uh, very cool indeed. So let's listen to a little bit of Teal.
So who are your influences? Who are the people that you listen to and you go, oh, I like an element of that. Maybe not the whole thing, but I like elements of that. So, um, so there's a lot of people. <laughs> um, I like, I listen, uh, I like Guns N' Roses and Van Halen. And um, I like listening to like kind of serious rock. Um, and in terms of violinists, my like muse, even though I wouldn't say that my style is the same as his, is Adam DeGraff, who, um, who for me, like has just, you know, he, he does a lot of loops and a lot of loop based stuff. And, um, and even though my album, I decided to make it more oriented towards that corporate sound that, because that was, that's my clients. Um, so I've been, but I've been very influenced by Adam in my writing of different arrangements because I've done a lot of different arrangements for a lot of different things for a lot of different artists. I've done string sections, but I, I'd say that I'm very, very influenced by him and that I've, we've done a lot of talking back and forth. Um, I like, I don't, I don't even know how to say her name, Maria Nesbitt, which is why, you know, I told you that originally I was thinking that it would be really cool to have this Irish sound and I was like I kind mm. of like I was listening to her music and thinking oh that that's my sound something like that and then it it kind of ended up not being my sound because you can't listen to somebody and say okay I'm gonna make that that's gonna be my sound because that's that person right. that's not you um, so I would say that just you know every single person that I listen to I take elements from their writing and then I you know I I think okay I like that and then and then I'll and then I'll go and I'll write and but it won't be the same as that person's even if even if you listen to somebody and you're like okay I want a track like this I want to create something like this but then you come and your personality is in there and your musicianship is in there and then you're like okay that doesn't sound like that at all like I uh, right. I I would say that you know I had I had this one time that I played this like in January that I was flown into New York to play this crazy wedding, like crazy. It was like a $5 million wedding. And I played an original track from Dublin Day, the Irish track that I was talking about um, from the EP. And somebody comes over to me and they're like, I've heard it before. And I was like, um, well, I don't know where you've heard it before, but it's mine. And, uh, and then they're like, it's, it's Lindsey Sterling. No, and I like wanted to punch them. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I love, I love Lindsey Sterling, but I'm like, no, I, I really, you know, I, 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 you know, you can't, there's nothing you can do about like people are going to hear music and they're going to say, oh, that's a violinist and all violinists are going to sound the same to them. But at the same time, you're like, right. but, but I'm different. I'm, it's not the same. What can you do? <laughs> what can you do? There's no just, doubt. Although what that tells you is that you've written a hooky melody when they go, I think I've heard that before. You go, well, I'll take that as a compliment because it means that it's, it's a good hook. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, that's exactly, you know, I mean, I'll punch you, but I'll also accept the, <laughs> but I'll also accept your compliment. Thank you. <laughs> if you've heard it before, then somebody owes me some money. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So so yeah, so the so the album's basically finished, and now, now with coronavirus and everything, so I'm I'm taking this time to first of all, I've been doing a lot of um, remote sessioning, like where uh, I have people who are you know they want strings or they want anything, 
and then they're coming to me and I'm writing, you know, sections for them. I've done some really beautiful projects actually, which is kind of cool. And, uh, and then, and then I'm like, okay, what can I do on my own? <laughs> you know, what can, what can I do on my own without sure. like going into a studio, without working with a producer, without putting out money? And uh, so I'm, I'm really like taking this time to kind of learn Ableton, which is something that I've always wanted to do. Um, I've always mm. wanted to learn the production, but also learn the live looping with the samples on the synths. So, um, so I'm, I'm working really hard on that uh, whenever I have free time, which is um, never. Like, like I said, after 10 p.m. Yeah, all know? the time, right? All no, the Musicians, time. all we do is lay around. All the time. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm actually having a lot of fun with my, like, I have a lot of fun with my kids. It's just that, like, the focus is so not on, like, my work and my business. It's so much more on right. the, like let's bake something or let's learn how to read in English. Um, so, uh, yeah. Now people will notice that you've got an American accent, but we are, um, and you've actually been in my house here in, in Raleigh, yeah. North Carolina, but right now you are at home in Israel. Right. So what's my so story? Tell us a little bit of the story. Like you've got an American accent cause you grew up here in the yeah. U S and then ended up in Israel. Right. Right. So, so my, my kind of journey, um, both musically and, uh, so my, okay, so, so my grandfather, his name is Tzvi Zeitlin, and he was the head of the string department at the Eastman School of Music. So, um, so I came from this background where, um, my parents really wanted to please him, but also I really wanted to learn the violin. And, uh, and I was kind of obsessed about the violin. I wouldn't say I was a prodigy, but I was very musical and very, um, very passionate, even like right when I was starting it as a kid. I grew up in Baltimore, and, um, and I grew up as um, an Orthodox Jew, which was very convenient because um, every community needs its little prodigies. Like, it needs its little people to, like, pick up and put on the stages and, and play at the, like, women's events or, like, the, you know, like, the fundraisers or whatever. So since I was um, 10, more or less, like, I was performing sometimes in front of very large audiences, um, classical music, mostly. Um, I did a big concert when I was 12. Um for like the bat mitzvah celebration. But then I was also back and forth to Eastman um, during my high school until I, was, until I was 17 and I moved to Israel. I was back and forth to my grandparents' house every couple of months um, where I'd, you know, I'd, I'd go and my grandfather would rip me apart. <laughs> he was very intense, you know, those old Russians. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and then I would go home and I would work really, really hard because I was always thinking about that coming up when the next time I would have to play for him. And, um, and, then, and then when I was 17, my high school that I was in shut down, um, kind of as a surprise. Um, it was out, uh, um, I'm not kind of as a surprise. It, it, they ran out of money and, uh, and they shut down. It was a small private high school. And, um, and, uh, and then I ended up going to Israel because my parents kind of suggested it to me. And uh, my plan had always been that I'm gonna finish up high school and I'm gonna go to Juilliard. And I had a teacher at Juilliard, um, Shulra Givens, who worked there, who was like very interested in taking me on and she wanted to teach me. And that was the plan. That was like my, my whole high school, they knew me and, and that was always my plan. 
And then I get I hit 17, which is basically when you're going into 12th grade. And uh, my school shuts down. And so you can't go straight into Juilliard, obviously, because, you know, you have to finish 12th grade and you have to do the auditions and everything. Sure. And uh, so my parents suggested to me that I spend a year at like a school in Israel, kind of learning, uh, learning about Judaism, learning about our heritage and stuff. And I moved here and I kind of fell in love with Israelis um, and the culture and like the sounds and, um, and I, and I, and I kind of immediately um, wrote my own language <laughs> that combined some Hebrew that I learned and a lot of English with like an Israeli accent. Like I picked up the accent way before I picked up the language and, and because of my background. So I knew some biblical Hebrew. <laughs> so I kind of moved here and, and immediately thought that I spoke Hebrew and nobody understood what I was saying. So that was, you know, like you're walking around talking like a biblical person, like it's like somebody out of Shakespeare, right. like walking around yeah, yeah. America. Um, but I, but I, uh, um, but I was there, and I, I moved here, and I was like, I could, I, I think I want to stay. And it was, it was like kind of my first taste of independence and living on my own, and and being able to move around and. And it's and it's funny because I think that in people's mind they think that Israel is kind of a little bit dangerous because I mean back then was kind of right after the Intifada, which is when there was a lot of terrorist attacks. But I grew up in Baltimore, so like I, I yeah. I grew up in Baltimore where like I was mugged like four times between the ages of like fourteen and seventeen, and and I knew how to use a knife and I carried pepper spray with me and like my my parents had guns in the house like like it was it was not unusual that like people were attacked <laughs> so um like I kind of moved to Israel and it felt safe which is like a big difference and then I kind of thought about moving to New York City and I was like I don't know if I want to live in New York City <laughs> you know like I I think I'd like to like stay in this place that feels safe um so, and my parents were very supportive of me um, when I, you know, when I said that I wanted to stay and that I wanted to study in Israel. And I met my professor because he was one of my best friends who we had learned, we had been in a camp together in America. We had gone to a music camp together. And, um, and so her, her teacher turned into my professor who kind of guided me through my, um, my, uh, my studies. Um, and I got, you know, a bachelor's and a master's and, and, uh, I did a lot of studying and then like lots of classical violinists who have classical degrees, you finish up your degree and then the expectation is that you're going to audition to an orchestra and that's your, that's going to be your job. And I did, and I got in to the Jerusalem symphony and I, I left, you know, I left the audition and I played well, but I left, I was, I was already married at that point, and I called my husband in tears, and I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I was like, I don't want to sit in an orchestra and, like, earn whatever. And I, I, and, and he was like, okay, so don't. And, um, and uh, I was like, okay, but what am I going to do instead? And I was already teaching at that point, and uh, and and he's like, okay, well, you can just teach if that's what you want to do, or you can do other things. And 
and um, and I and I started working with different like bands, which is funny because I wasn't doing so much of that during my studies because obviously I was you know I was very intense classical, um, but like that was the way that I grew up. Like I grew up with a lot of jamming in the house and a lot of like parties and there were always people around and we we're always having jam parties. It was a lot of fun, and um, so when you know so so then I kind of kind of kind of. Uh, I kind of transitioned back into that scene, into like playing with bands and stuff, and um, and that that was much more satisfying <laughs> than playing in an orchestra. Well, you're bringing with you when you go back to that scene that you knew. You're bringing all this technique that you learned right. in music school. Right. Totally. So yeah, so I was playing with all kinds of bands, and I was gigging around, and um, and I had some, and it was very cool because I would be invited to you know, play certain, t I would be invited to play things where, you know, my classical expertise was needed, and I would also be invited to play things where, like, my kind of blues and, and uh, blues and, and rock was, you know, necessary. And at that point, I was still playing, like, mostly with my classical violin. Like, I, I actually have owned a Yamaha electric for, like, 10 years, no, 8 years, <laughs> but, uh, but I didn't know anything about you know, effects or preamps or anything. So when you plug that directly in, it's very painful. <laughs> and I just always was like, okay, electric violin is painful. And now I would say like in the past year or so, since I started working with my Viper and since I met you and I got the HX Stomp and like I started working with different um, uh, uh, impulse responses and stuff. So I've really started enjoying working with my electric. Um, that's that's even something also that's like really really cool is that you know if i i can make my electric violin sound like a cello so if somebody comes and asks me for a section now not just a cello i can make it sound like a viola right so so um somebody comes right. and they ask me for a section now um i can give them a whole string orchestra um which is so cool because before i would give them violins and they'd be like can't you play a little lower and i'm like no i can't play a little lower and now i can play a lot lower because of like the whole electric Silly four-string instruments. <laughs> ah. We're going to take a quick break and listen to Ariella's version of City of Stars from La La Land. Oh, it's so good. City of stars Are you shining just for me? City of stars There is so much that I don't see I felt it from the first embrace I shared with you That all our dreams have finally come true City of stars There's one thing everybody wants There in the bars and through the smoke screen of the crowded restaurants It's love Yes, all we're looking for is love from someone else A rush, a glance, a touch, a dance A look in somebody's eyes To light up the skies To open the world and send it real. 
Yeah, so you're a recent convert to to Viper World, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I uh, I I moved into like playing on electric on on my electric violin. Um, yeah, um, I bought it from you about a year ago, right? Yeah. Right, about a year ago. In fact, it's funny. Yeah, you actually bought one of my Vipers. Um, <laughs> that my tattoo guy, and I'm I'm so sad that I actually had to let this violin go, but I just had too many Vipers in the house, which. I don't, when I hear myself say that, it sounds ridiculous, but I had too many Vipers in the house and I was like, well, I got to let one go. So the one that my tattoo guy had painted up with a devil went down to Georgia theme on it. And you were like, yeah, I see the instrument that's for sale, but like I'm in the Orthodox Jewish community. It can't like have a devil on it. I'm like, Let's just paint. You can paint it. Right? right. So I think I sent it to you in pieces and you, your artist is insanely amazing right it, that is one of the most beautiful vipers i've seen now yeah tell uh tell the story about like how what the vision was for the instrument okay so so actually you know how it's funny that like um facebook sends you memories like things that you've post, you've posted on people's things so about three years ago um my one of my good friends who lives here who's a violinist her name is liat rosenberg she bought a green violin um i i, I don't know what uh, the, is a the, the Zeta, right? Those, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember what she has. I, it might be a Zeta. Right. So, so she bought a green violin, and I like looked at it, and I was like, "Well, I want a blue violin." <laughs> I, I, my whole house is blue, um, like blues and turquoises, like everything, and also in terms of like my clothing, I like to wear a lot of blue. Um, I guess that that's my uh, aura or whatever. My hair is blue and purple um, right now. Um, which is kind of cool, but, uh, um, so I kind of looked at that and then I, and then I just was like researching different techniques and I went on Pinterest, which is, you know, my favorite website, <laughs> um, like all women. <laughs> right. And I just started like, you know, looking at different instruments and looking at things people had done with guitars and just, I mean, I'm, I'm I spent hours and hours and hours looking at art. Um, different types of art and like different things. And I see this thing um, called acrylic pouring. And acrylic pouring is basically, you know, where they, they use this technique that looks very natural in terms of marbleizing. You know how, how you can cut open certain types of rock and then you have like a vein of gold inside that rock or whatever and it kind of moves like that. So that's that's basically what acrylic pouring looks like. And um, and so I had this whole big, you know, pin board of colors and, uh, and I started like researching who could, who could do, who could make the Viper like that. And I looked everywhere. I was like, you know, somebody in Israel, I was asking lots of different artists and I spoke to tons of different artists and, um, and then I was in a car crash and, 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 and it became more difficult for me to get around. And then somebody says to me, oh, the type, you know, that, you know, there's somebody who lives like a block away from you who does that kind of acrylic pouring. I was like, are you kidding me? A block away from me? <laughs> like, what? Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I go into her and I, you know, I kind of show her my vision and her whole house is covered in like these beautiful poured things. And my, and my husband is like, you know, he's like, you are going to destroy this instrument. He's like, you just got this beautiful new electric thing. And like, she doesn't know what she's doing. And, and you're just going to destroy it. Like you bought this thing and you're, and you're doing, you're experimenting with something that costs a lot of money. And he's like, you're an idiot. 
And and I was like, I was like, I was like, um, maybe, but uh, we're gonna see how this goes. And uh, so so she did it, and so she did her uh, you know her pouring techniques. And in order to cover the viper, she had to do it in a bunch of different times and a bunch of different sections, and because it has to do with you know the angle, and there's a bunch of different angles on the viper. And then right. uh, you know I went, and um, and then I put it back together with my very good friend uh, Laser Lloyd, who also lives like a block away from me. Um, he's a blues guitarist, and I play a lot with his band. Um, and so he helped me do the setup on it in order to get it set up. And then and then I'm playing on it, and I'm like, it's just out of tune all the time. Why is it out of tune all the time? And then uh, you, I went to you, and I was like, Matt, I think there's something wrong with your violin. <laughs> and you were like, Well, you have to, you know, set up the bridge in a certain way. And uh, and uh, so, you know, and then I and then I really started getting into, you know, what am I going to need in order to make different cool effects and sounds. And I wouldn't even say that, you know, I've gotten deep in it. I've just kind of scratched the surface. But um, but uh, but it's been like a really cool journey. It's like really fun. It's been it's a lot of fun playing on the electric. It's also it's a lot of fun to bring it to gigs because people are like, what is that? <laughs> and uh, and uh, and it's you know it's kind of become like a, a bit of a like kind of a trademark. There's only um, I I don't I think that there's only like two or three other violinists in the whole Israel who have vipers. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, there's a guy who lives up in Haifa who I don't I don't know him. I I've just I I it you know he popped up on my feed, and then there's a, a woman named Alexandra, and and then those are the two that I know that live here, but also Bar Markovich who doesn't live here, right. but he's uh, I, would, I would. Are you talking about Akiva Wax? Oh right, and Akiva. No, but I wasn't talking about Akiva. Yeah, so he's in Chicago right now, right. but um. Yeah, he's he's from right. Israel. Yeah, yeah. So he's got a left-handed seven-string. It's like the the unicorn of all unicorns. <laughs> so I haven't seen him. He actually also lives like right here in my neighborhood. Um, but I haven't. We haven't gotten oh, wow. together. Yeah, that'd be an amazing collaboration. Okay, I'll let him know. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> if he ever makes it back here, so you know, you if they ever have... let us fly again. That's right. So when you tell me that you were like going to be in the Jerusalem Symphony, I, I like turn my head like a dog who's a little confused at things because your personality is way too huge to just be one of 30 violinists right. in a room all playing the same thing. I, I cannot see you doing that. So like the skill sets there, but your personality is like that's the complete <laughs> wrong use of your personality. Right, I would agree with you, and I and I think that it's also like really important. And I don't know who's listening to this podcast, but I, I'm assuming that there's some like violinists, young violinists, and and I think that you know it's very important. Like even if in order to gain the technique, you have to work inside of that box of like doing the scales and doing that work and and really like you know gaining that technique. But once you are finished with the studies. You know, if you don't want to be in an orchestra, there are other options. And there are a lot of other options. And there's a lot of different things that you can do. And, and you don't have to always do what everybody expects that you're going to do. Um, 
I think that that's like like something that I've just learned from my own you know my own process is that um, you know you do something that if it turns you on and it like keeps you you know gives you light in your eyes to do it and 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 let's let's be honest is I, I still play a lot of classical music like you look on my YouTube channel there's a there's like when I put up covers and stuff that I'm still using my acoustic violin a lot like I would say that that's you know, kind of the core of my sound, even though I'm, you know, experimenting now with the Viper and I'm working now with loops and with experimental stuff, I would say, you know, that there's a core of my sound there, but like, but that that's not, you don't have to stay inside that box. You can, you know, there's so many, there's so many things that you can do and so, so many places you can go. Um, so just don't like limit yourself and don't think that there's only one thing that you can do. Um, yeah absolutely yeah total words of inspiration there yeah. and and then also i hear so many people talk about well you know i got kids and i just don't have time for this and and that's that's another to me that's an excuse i mean that's it, not to say that i was a stay-at-home dad with two kids i understand how i'm like insanely consuming raising children is right right but that doesn't mean that your writing and performing days are over. It means you just have to be a little more creative about right. how you do this. And maybe you sleep a lot less. So, um, so when my daughter was born, so she was, uh, so I actually both with both my kids, I spent a year at home with both of them. Um, and my daughter, when she was born, I was still in the middle of my degree. So, um, so like there was a lot of tag teaming with, uh, taking care of her. And I would definitely say that like, as they got a little bit older, there was a lot of, okay, here's, here's something that like another, like advice thing that I would say that I have, I have not followed enough that I would always suggest for people to do is that you should always have a coach. <laughs> should always look for somebody who can mentor you if you want to do something. So right after my son was born, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And I started being like, okay, well, I'm going to online teach and I'm going to make videos and I'm going to write a course and I'm going to, you know, and I started doing a bunch of different like things that are related to that. And then I, and then I actually saw that, okay, actually there are people that are out there who are doing this better than me. So maybe I shouldn't do this. <laughs> um, and I kind of did a lot of, a lot of like, okay, maybe I'll do this and maybe I'll do this and maybe I'll do this and maybe I'll do this. And meanwhile, I was working in a call center. And I have to say that those, I, that what I would say when I was, I was working in a call center from like four in the morning till 10 in the morning or something for 10 or 11 in the morning. And I would come home and I'd be with my kids and my husband was working also like from three in the afternoon until 12 at night. It was like this intense, like, okay, how are, how are we going to figure this out? And I would say that that time was probably like the most intensely creative time like of my life because I was sleeping very little <laughs> but I had this need to like create and um and there and I you know it was kind of like an obsessive need even like you know like I need to prove to myself that I'm not just a call center representative and um and then I started you know and then I moved from there out of out into kind of you know gigging but I would say that that anybody like me now as I'm 32 and I would say that if when I was 20 and I kind of realized that I don't want to be doing orchestra or 23 or 24 25 if I had gotten a business coach who could have kind of helped me figure out like what exactly I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it I think that I would be much further in my career right now 
Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm ten years older than you, and and I've spent more time sort of paddling my little canoe in circles, I think. Um, but I think that's part of the process, right? Because you're learning the whole time you're doing it, and you're developing into the person who you are. And I think you're gathering the things that you have to say. Right. Because an artist is a person who's got something to say, right? And sometimes it takes a while to figure out exactly what it is that you want to say and how you want to say it. So the fact that you were working in a call center, I wouldn't see that as a detour at all. I would see that as part of the process. Right. of, And then maybe it's one of the things that motivates you now. Like, I don't want to go back to that call center, so I better get in and finish this tune, right? <laughs> Yeah, I better I better keep working on like you know creating so that like I can you know reach more people so that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I would say to people as just a note of encouragement, if you are in that process right now where you're where you want to be out playing but you're just for whatever reason it's not time yet, be patient with yourself. Allow yourself to take this time to grow and become who you are and and figure out what you want to say and how you want to say it. It's not. The road is never supposed to be straight. Right. I would also say that, like, me, for me personally, in the past, like, three years or so, um, I've really been on a big journey um, in health and kind of learning about strength and about, uh, and about um, fitness and, you know, movement and core strength specifically, which is very important as a violinist. And, um, and I would say that as funny as that is, because I, I, I don't like the idea that like, okay, you look better, so you work more. I don't like that. But, but, I, but I see that in terms of energy and in terms of you know, presence, that when your body is strong, and then it helps you to, it, it, when your body is strong, then it helps you to have the stamina in order to do the performing. Like that, you know, it, it, it all is based one thing off of another. And, um, and that's something that, you know, in classical, the classical world, it's, it's, there's a less, much less of an emphasis on fitness and how you look. But on the other hand, it also, like, it lends to a lot of different body issues. And I remember when I was, like, 19 or 20, I went into a chiropractor and I said, like, I've got issues with my shoulders and my back. And he's like, oh, you play the violin, right? And uh, he's like, you're going to have pain for the rest of your life. And, uh, and then, and then I went to the music Academy of the West and they had this, the most amazing like bodywork person who, who, uh, worked on people and he did different classes. His name is Michael Luan. And, uh, hi Michael. I, I, we're still very good friends. Um, so, and, and he kind of like, and he helped me like learn how to move. And that was like kind of the beginning of that, that journey of like how to stand and how to move and how to and how to play my violin without hurting myself, which is a very funny thing because it's not necessarily the thing that a violin teacher is, is trained to be able to understand about core strength. Like a violin teacher is going to tell you how to position your hand and to relax your shoulders and whatever. But they're not necessarily going to help you to, they're not going to know what it like a physical therapist is going to be able to, you know, is going to be able to tell you about how to, how to stand right or how to be there. So I think that that also is like a very, very important thing for me that like, you know, learning how to, how to move has like also very much impacted how much I'm performing because you look better when you feel better. You know, there's a, there's a, there's an element of that. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's a weird thing in the, in the music business that it, it is, 
people do hear with their eyes to some extent. Um, and, you know, there is a superficialness to the business that that I think so many of us really dislike. Yeah. But the reality is the reality. Um, but I think, like you're saying, even more from a health standpoint, it's I have... I, like you, I like to put on a super high energy show. I am drenched in sweat within five minutes of the time I start playing. Right. You know, I'm jumping over stuff and climbing up on things and swinging around. And I'm like, I'm a 200 pound man. I, I come crashing into stuff <laughs> like, like a football player. Right. Um, and I don't ever want my physical conditioning to be the limiting factor. Right on my performance right you know i want my internal motor to be the limiting factor right exactly um, i don't ever want to get to where my body just can't do what i'm asking it right. to do yeah and i've had concerts like that i got invited to come and perform and bring a band um at different venues and i've had like when i was you know when i was less into fitness or like maybe it's common waves in my life right and i was in, in a period that i was less strong and less whatever and i and i see in my body language after you know 20 minutes of performing that like i'm already like dying you know and and nobody wants to come to a concert and watch performers who are dying like they're like that's not what i'm here for i'm here to get energy from you not like to tell you you're not gonna die now you know yeah uh, so um i mean whatever it's just like it's just an important element that i think that uh that um that it's just important to think about Speaking of high-energy tunes, here is a bit of her medley of tunes from Prince of Egypt. We'll talk about the video for this in just a minute, which is incredible. But first, enjoy some music. And then you talked about like how to play without hurting yourself. I started playing a Viper when I was in my early twenties. So the Viper to me is so much more ergonomic than, than a classical violin. I don't have to hold my head. You know, there's, there's so much less of that asymmetrical right. movement with yeah. your spine Yeah. that, you know, I've, I play four hour shows with this thing and I've just, I've never had injuries. And I think maybe part of it is because I've always been into fitness, but I think part of it is that I just play a much more ergonomically right. feasible instrument. Yeah, there's there's definitely that element to it. Since I'm generally playing in heels, um, I'm actually like I I mean there's like I mean there's just that like there's just that element of like if your your core is not strong and you're wearing heels, you're gonna mess up your body. Like you know I have people who are like, how can you stand? How can you stand? And I'm like, you know what? It's because I've worked with somebody who's taught me how to stand so that I don't hurt myself. <laughs> so like it's just it's like an important thing I think that you know that you know as musicians sometimes people get injured because they're not standing right or they're not walking right or they're not moving right 
And uh, I think that that's just like an important thing to know that like maybe maybe you can fix that. Like maybe you can work on that. Maybe that can you know maybe that can you know maybe maybe that's something even tendonitis, which is something that like a lot of violinists struggle with, like a lot of pain and wrists. Um, that can also be related to like core strength, which is sorry, this is like an, some just something that like I'm, I've been finding very interesting and for me I think has been really really helpful. Um, yeah. Well, I want to pivot here a little bit and talk about your YouTube channel. Okay. Your videos are amazing. And you've got so Aww. many, so many videos. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. So That's... talk about like who your team is and what your process is and, and where you get ideas for all these videos. I don't have a team. My team is me. <laughs> um, my, uh, I don't have... Um, that's, that's something else that like I've, I've, you know, I'm, I'm totally self-made. I, I don't have a manager. I've, I've worked with different managers for very short periods where, you know, then I, uh, I have fired them very quickly because I didn't feel like they cared about my stuff the way that I care about my stuff or they wanted to change me or they wanted me to, uh, dress differently or, or they want me to play something different and I was just like you know what I can't work with somebody who wants me to be somebody else that's why I didn't go in the orchestra um, so um, so as like my whole like my in my process of becoming like who I am today I've had to learn how to do like how to do recording I do a lot of recording from home like I said um, so even though like for my album, I was like, I wanted to work with producers because I don't know the production aspect, but the recording aspect and being able to record from home is very, very important. And also learning how to edit your own videos because that's another thing that especially, especially for women, women do not like it when somebody takes a video and gets the wrong angle of their face. Like we know our good angles, you know? <laughs> so, so <laughs> it's like- It's not just women. So, um, so my first video, like in the realm of like videos that I've done was uh, thousand like my thousand years video, um, which is was a mm -hmm. couple of years ago, and I was like forty pounds heavier. Which like, like I look at the videos, and I'm like, well, like I well, you know it's I look different now, um, but uh, but I went in to somebody, I hired somebody, and also in order for them to do the editing and to to do the video and do the editing, and then I go into the studio and in order to see, and I you know. A videographer who's like, let me make this beautiful and like the flares and like the walking slowly. And I just, you know, and I'm like, but you, my fingers aren't playing the things that, that I'm hearing. And it's funny because violinists watch videos of violinists very differently than anybody else watches videos of violinists. Oh, um, yes. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's very funny because after that, then I started doing a lot of watching, um, specifically Lindsay Sterling, who, who, in her videos, um, she she doesn't even attempt to play the same thing that she's playing, but she's always with the right bow. Um, so visually, like things are moving fast enough that you don't you can't tell what she's doing with her fingers. But but I mean at but I was like, okay, take video of me playing with my fingers. I want everybody to know that I'm really playing. <laughs> like this is very very <laughs> important. And um, so, so at that point, so I went in and I sat with the videographer and I just kind of sat in his office and I redid everything. And, um, 
so that was the first video that you know I I uh, I ever really did like and uh, and then and then after that I bought a computer that could do the processing in order that I could you know do the video editing from home so uh, so yeah so 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 that's I mean video editing is essentially just taking things cutting them up and pasting them like that's what video editing that's what video editing is um, um, then once you're done with that, then also like color correction and stuff. But like that's, I mean, in a very basic kind of um, thing, if your shots are good, then you should be able to make a good video from it to some, to some degree. So all my videos, I do my own editing. And, um, and a lot of them now, <laughs> now I've, I've moved into a lot of stuff that we're filming with just my phone. Um, with just my phone and a gimbal or like uh, I have this like thing that you put the phone in and you can walk around and it like moves. Yep. Right. I had that when I was at your house already. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you did or not, but yeah, I've seen them and yeah. you know, an iPhone can shoot in 4k. Right. I mean, yeah. how much better do you want? Right. Totally. So like at this point I'm doing a lot of stuff like that because uh, I'm trying to see how I can, I would rather I would rather have things sound good and like have like not such great videos than uh, than have you know than have things go out less often and uh, and be better. Um, I mean, there's a certain element of that, obviously, and there's also a certain amount element of like, how could I do things and also maintain them, like in terms of money, like how often can you put? Well, out budgets are real things. That, Budgets are real things. That's an excellent sentence. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but your videos have been fantastic. You know the uh, what was the um, I'm blanking on the name. It was one of the movies, Pirates of the Caribbean thing that you did. Yeah. There was just so much personality in that too. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. You know what's very funny about that one is that I had I had a videographer that I was working with, and he calls me like two days before, the day before, and he was sick, and I and I brought in a videographer. Um, that I had never worked with and he just thought I was bizarre he's like but you're a woman why are you not like making yourself look sexy <laughs> and and I and because I you know I came in like my puffy white shirt trying to look like piratey like not not like sexy right. pirate just regular pirate and uh, he's like I don't understand he was like I, I don't I don't understand he was Russian well clearly you're not in my target audience sir <laughs> just shoot the video <laughs> yeah and uh and that one and i just you know and and that one ended up you know it just in, ended up being much bigger than i was even planning because i had this one guy who was like what you're doing prior to the caribbean and like i'm gonna come and all my friends are gonna be pirates and like and then he's like well pirates and zombies and i was just like such a free-for-all like <laughs> the fact that it came together at all was just like a miracle because i was just planning on like having me playing on like a you know on a cliff that was like my plan like i'm good with the cliff um, right. It ended up turning into like a very big project and it was a lot of fun and a lot of, a lot of effort. There was a lot of effort that went into that. Well, I want to talk about one more of your original tunes, um, Incandescence. Yeah. So that's probably the most rocking tune I've heard of yours. I can really hear the GNR in there. <laughs> okay. So, uh, um, Incandescence was... Um, okay, that was a couple, okay, basically in, okay, that was two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, I was, I had done this audition, well, I had gotten invited to come and sing on The Voice with my violin, 
and um, and I kind of, in general, am a little bit of a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants type. Um, and they called me up, and they said, well, you want to? And I was like, uh, okay. And, and, um, and so I went, and I had a good time, you know, but without kind of realizing that, that um, reality shows are awful, and uh, they're really not nice to the constituents, and they're not nice to the people who are in them. And it was, and it's very, like, it's very crushing. Like, it's a very soul-crushing, like, um process and um and after i had been on it and then you know they don't film it until they they film it and then they don't air it for like another six months or something right like because right. they it t spends a lot of time in the thing i suddenly like after it was done and they had kicked me off the show i was you know they i went through two rounds and then they took me off and um i was like i need to put something out so that people know that i'm a really good violinist and um and that i have something like really good like up on the online and um so that's where like incandescence kind of like sprung into my mind like there was this like very biblical story of like okay like the jew mm -hmm. in the woods and the roman soldier and like um and then like the people hiding and the in the woods there's a lot of symbolism in there and uh, and i was like i need to i need to put something out so that it's like i need to put something out that's like that like will show everybody how good i am um, so that's incandescence. Like that was like a like a like from September to December of that year. That like after the whole um, the voice thing. That I was like kind of a, like obsessive project. Like I need to make this music and I need to make this uh, this video. And um, yeah, and I'm still to this day. I think that that's actually my best my best video, my best project that I've done. Um, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I'm actually we're gonna listen to it right now. Okay.
Uh, so I want to ask you one more question. I want to ask you about singing and playing. You did a lesson video on that. And you really, honestly, you spend most of your your time in front of people. Most of the videos I've seen and most of your material is you mostly playing. But you're a fantastic singer, too. Oh, thank you. And um, so talk about how those two kind of dovetail. And, and are you going to sing for us more in the future? Please, please. Um, so, okay, right. So I've had a lot of, a lot of, um, I've had a lot of process that I've gone through with all of this, partially because my voice is very good for small and intimate, um, small things. Like uh, I would say my, my voice is very good for shows that are in a bar or that are for, you know, small audiences. Like I don't have an Aretha Franklin voice. I'm not like if, Nobody's hiring me to come and sing like at a wedding in order to get people dancing. You know, like I'm not that type of singer, even though I want to be, <laughs> I really want to be, but I just don't have that kind of voice. Like I, my voice is best in like small, intimate, beautiful, like violin, guitar, like acoustic sets. And because I've kind of pushed myself to kind of be like more in like high energy places and higher energy stages. So that's kind of why I've took, I've taken a step back from singing because I want to be known like I wanted I don't want to be known as like a violinist and I want people to be brought I want to be brought into high energy things because high energy things pay better <laughs> um we like getting paid yeah, <laughs> and we like getting paid um but I definitely I definitely like I love singing and obviously every person who has a voice you know it's very important for us that we use our voices and that we sing um um, so like I, I do sing and, uh, and actually one of the songs on the album, perhaps two, um, if I can afford to pay the producer that I owe him a lot of money. Um, so, uh, but one of them, um, is actually, uh, is, is actually me singing, which is a kind of like a hybrid house where like there's some playing and some singing. Like it's, it's, um, it's very cool. Actually, we could play that now. So when your guest wants you to play a song, you play a song. So here's Feel It. feel it and um and there's definitely like an element of that like you know like violin and singing which uh which is like, very cool and uh and i definitely like doing that the problem is in that once i get there once i'm doing that like the violin and the singing hybrid um 
the question is who's the audience and the question is where am I going to play that and where am I going to perform it like um, I, I what I've, I've just discovered that it's it's not so it's much easier for me to market myself as a violinist and get work as a violinist than it is for me to kind of market something new where I'm a violinist and a singer like and because um, and because I'm kind of I'm very small time like I would I mean I'd love to say that I'm huge but um, I'm, because I'm you know small time then uh, then then I have to think about like who's directly gonna hire me and where can I see myself working and uh, and the truth is that most of my work is weddings and events and shows and um, and and every once in a while I'll get a show and I'll be invited to do a performance where I could put in singing but um, but mostly not but mostly not so um, so that's why I've kind of put most of my focus on playing and kind of taken a step back from singing, even though I love singing. So. Well, let's talk about, I said it was my last question, but I lied. I'm a man. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's uh, maybe, maybe one more. We'll say one more. Okay. Cause it's only one more right now. Okay. Um, might be another one later. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the pragmatic aspects of the difference between creating for your live performance and just creating for the sake of creating. Because I've done both. I've written songs that I wrote this song because this song was inside me and it had to come out. Right. And I don't think anybody's going to give a flying crap, but I'm going to record this song right. anyway. Um, and then there are songs that I've written with a certain performance right. in mind. And I can't say that one is more rewarding than the other to me or one is better. But um, yeah, talk about sort of that thought process between like, you have to think about, gosh, who is gonna wanna hear this? Right, right. So um, so that's, that's, ex that's, like, that's a big thing that I've, that I've thought about a lot um, in my process and when I've thought like, okay, I want to work. <laughs> Right, I want to be a violinist. I don't want my thing on the side to be that I play the violin and that I have a real job. I want to be a violinist, and so, um, so, so that's basically when I started thinking about making an album. Is that's what I was like? Okay, I want. I know. I know that there's a market for this because I know violinists that are working um, in this type of music. I know that there is a demand for instrumental high energy performances at corporate events and at weddings and at, um, you know, festivals. There's, there's a place for that. And I mean, obviously also for singers, but I would say that there's, um, that niche of being a violinist, that there's a demand for that. It's, it's not as saturated. That's what it comes down to. It's not as saturated of a market as all the singers, because there are a lot of singers. <laughs> um, and um, and I would say that I find both very rewarding. I uh, sometimes I you know I write um, I write songs that are just for fun, or I do a project that I'm just like okay I need to do this, um, and I and I and I have a couple of things that are just like I need to do this and I need to and I want to do this and I have this feeling right now and it's just like I need to put this into words or I need to put this into music and I need to do this, um, but. But there's also been a lot for me of in my kind of recent life that I'm creating for performances, like that I have something coming up and I'm like, okay, I want to create something for this performance. And, um, and I would say, I would say that, that, uh, that I would say that that's, it's, it's, that's very rewarding for me 
That's like when I have something coming up and I'm working towards that and I'm creating something new for that, then I would say that that's very rewarding for me. When I, it's less rewarding and I probably, I imagine that I'm, I'm just like a lot of people to play the same thing, <laughs> to be like, okay, I've got this set and I play these 10 songs and that's what I do. And that's, a, you know, I named this concert XYZ. I named this concert, um, blah, blah, blah. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm, and I'm selling this concert and right? I'm calling up venues and I'm saying, okay, this is what happens in this concert. Um, for me, like if I get invited to play at, um, you know, an award ceremony and they're saying like, okay, we've got this kind of, you know, audience and we want you to play four things. And if I go then and I, and I kind of, you know, I create like a new loop arrangement for that, then I, you know, when I'm working towards that and thinking about that type of audience and creating for something specific, I would say that that gives me a lot of energy. Like I love creating for that. Um, um, so I would say that, I would say that that's even, even more reward. Uh, no, I, I can't say that it's more rewarding. That's not like, it's not true. It's just, just two totally different animals. You know, like if you're sure. creating for something as opposed to creating for yourself, they're just two totally, totally different things. They're both very necessary for our souls. I think, like, I think that they're like for your soul in order, you know, if you're a creative person and, and you know, well, I guess if you don't have something that you're working towards, then I don't know if you need that. Um, but I think that in life that we need to work towards things and not just like, you know, float. Um, we need to think, okay, so I don't know. I, I feel like I, I botched this whole thing. Just, <laughs> I botched no, that. No, it's whole, amazing. It's, yeah. it's totally right. Okay. Totally right. And then the thing too, when you were talking about your voice, like, hey, I recognize that my voice is appropriate for this situation more than this other situation. And the thing is, a violin is a lot like that. An acoustic violin is. We do have some control over the instrument, right? Mm -hmm. But a violin sounds, well, it sounds like a violin. Right. Um, and, and it was, for me as a singer, it was really hard for me to accept that my voice was my voice. I always wanted to sound like other people. Right. Until finally a vocal coach was like, it's cute you trying to sound like other people, but really you need to just sound like you. Right. I'm like, yeah, but I don't like the way my voice sounds. He goes, well, tough crap. That's the voice you got. You got to live with it. Um, so, okay, all right, fine. But the fun thing to me about an electric violin is I can make that sound like anything. Right. That, and especially yeah. with something like the Helix, you're only limited by your imagination. Right. Yeah. So how has that ability allowed you to be more creative or, or have you really started exploring that much? So I've done a lot of exploring with, with the Helix and with playing with the effects. And I always come back to my acoustic. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I love the fact that I have this, you know, this arsenal. But I would say that my main gun, like I have my main gun. Like when I came to America um, to do some touring and uh, I kind of booked my own tour on guitar about that for a second also um but uh when I, I i brought both i brought both and i kind of got on the plane and prayed <laughs> i uh, i brought a cheaper acoustic and i put it inside my inside my suitcase and i brought my viper on mm -hmm. my back because my viper wouldn't fit in my suitcase and uh in the hard it, hard case versus soft case and and then actually oh my god i was in i flew through the ukraine and they wouldn't let me on the plane without paying them 150 euros to bring my the violin on the plane. 
And it's like, and, and I was like, what do you mean? I was like, so I'm not getting on. And, and they're like, fine, you know, we don't care. Throw your violin in the garbage. Like, <laughs> it was just like, that, I hate flying. Like, flying is, like, so nerve-wracking for that reason now. Like, Oh, it's so stressful. And, like, otherwise, like, who cares? I don't care. Flying, flying, is no big, flying used to be no big deal. But now it's like, okay, are they going to give me problems with my instrument? I had, I had my cousin. Right. She said that that happened, that she drove to the airport. She lives in Las Cruces, and she drove to El Paso to fly. Um, and they said that she couldn't take her violin on the plane. So she ended up putting the violin in her car trunk and calling her mom to come and pick it up um, from, like, the car trunk. Like, just... I, I usually fly with a violin because I'm usually traveling to play. But when I occasionally will do, like, a vacation with my family and I'm not traveling with an instrument, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> like... You just walk in the airport and you let you know they're going to put your crap on the plane and they're not going to give you right. any trouble about oh it. God. You get so used to being stressed out about right. your instrument. Right. It's it's crazy. Yeah. So, um, but for me, like, I wasn't, it wasn't an option for me to, like, travel without my acoustic. Um, right, yeah. And it also wasn't an option for me at that point to travel without my Viper because I was, I was doing an event. Like, I was playing at somebody's event and... At this point, like, people who hire me for events, they, they know I have this crazy violin. So, like, if I showed up without the crazy violin, they'd be like, what do you mean? You don't have a crazy violin? So, right. So uh, I had to go with both. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe just talk a little bit about this tour, and then uh, then we'll wrap up and, and uh, let people go on about their lives after listening to <laughs> to you. Um, okay. So, so... I wanted to go on a tour um, of, uh, I wanted to go on tour. That was like something that I had in my mind. And when I put out the, like when I put it, did my fundraising for the album, um, I, you know, had on there like, okay, book me for your venues. I'm going to be there in October. And, um, and basically I made a ton of phone calls. I called people in every city that I knew and um, like along the East coast. And I, and I called them and I'm like, okay, I can do this, 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 and, um, and you should, um, and you should, you know, help me put it together and, and you can do it as a fundraiser or whatever. And I need this amount of money. And, and, um, and I managed, how many, how many shows did I end up doing? One, two, it was like five that week. And then what also, also because I was going to the different cities. So I also made a bunch of different phone calls to different schools. Um, so I did shows in the schools in order that I would have, um, audiences in the evening for the show, which is like, like a very, you know, very smart. And, um, and just kind of made me realize that like anybody who wants to go on tour could do that. Anybody who wants to go on tour can call up different, even, even if like, if at this point I'm like, okay, if I wanted to do the same exact thing and I didn't have people who were willing to sponsor the concert in the evening, if I wanted to go to a community and like play in a school in the morning and then, you know, and especially if the school has some kind of music program, right? So the, the school has a music program and then you go in and you do a show for them. You get the kids excited. Then the kids come to the show in the evening with their parents um, then, then you, you built yourself an audience and you got people to come. And, um, and, uh, and that was just like a really cool thing for me to realize because I think that a lot of people are like, well, I'd love to go on tour. And I think a lot of people are like that, but, but, um, I think that, 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 I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't calling like crazy venues. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, wasn't like I was 
you know, calling stadiums, right? But um, but I did come home like with like a lot of money from I mean no, whatever from selling the merch and from the shows and from from the from the school shows and the different things. Um, and it was just very cool for me because um, because I had never done anything like that. They also always thought like it was impossible. And then it was cool just to discover that like really anybody could do that. Um, any musician. Anybody. Well, anybody who's done the hard work to have a product. Right. Right. You can't just go, hey, I'm a violinist. What am I going to play? I'm going to play the same Vivaldi that they've heard every violinist their entire life play. You know, you're coming in doing something different. On the one hand, yes. And on the other hand, no. You can you can go in and you can play the same Vivaldi that everyone's heard. But you could, you know, if you if you bring the Vivaldi and you also have a story to tell. For example, like the Four Seasons, I would say. That anybody could do a concert of the Four Seasons. And, like, the Four Seasons has all this stuff written, like, in it that's, like, narrati- narrated and stuff. I don't know. I think that I think that even, like, the same old classical stuff, if you've got what to say, especially for schools, um, then I think that, like, I think that, that, you know, for schools that they find that, that very, they, they find that very educational, too, even if it's the same old Vivaldi. Because I think that that's something else that us as, like, violinists, we're like, okay, it's the same old Vivaldi. Like, everyone plays that. But not everyone is a violinist. Like... Like not every uh, school is not every every school is gonna have pl- had you know fifty violinists who have played Vivaldi coming to the school, like okay, fair enough, right? Like if you're you know your kids go to school and and like and like they have a school program. Sometimes it's not the most original, but like the kids might have never heard that before. So um, that's that's true. It might be the first time they've heard right that same old Vivaldi. I think that that's something else that like. For a lot of us that were like, okay, I need to be interesting, <laughs> um, um, that, you know, you don't always need to be interesting because you're an expert in something that other people are not an expert in because they're not musicians, because they haven't spent that time learning the violin. So they can't do what you're doing and they can't say the things that you're doing and they're not interested in the things that you're doing and they haven't gotten that knowledge. And I think that that's actually like a very limiting thing that we're like, okay, well, if I play the same Vivaldi and the same Bach, then nobody's going to hear me. But it, I, don't, I don't know that that's true. I think that, um, I think that you, know, you know, that every person is different. And even if you hear the same Vivaldi violin concerto twice like somebody comes in October to a school and then they come the next October and then I mean you haven't heard it for a year it's not it's not the same as like us violinists who are like oh another Vivaldi <laughs> so you won't go to his <laughs> show so you won't go to their show whatever but like um I think that there's even for classical violinists that there's a that there's that there's an audience that you know that you you, know, you have to believe that people are interested in what you have to say. And I think that any person who's interested and who cares about what they want to give, that even if for you, Matt, you don't think that it's interesting, um, that there's going to be people who want to hear it. I don't care about Vivaldi. I know. But I'm, I'm, not your, I'm not the average audience either. I'm not the average anything. You're That's not the average the anything, brother. <laughs> <laughs> neither. Awesome. Know, well, hey, yeah. this has been so much fun, Ariella. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Tell, tell people awesome. where they can find you and your music. So I'm violin like that all over the place. Um, Ariella Zeitlin and violin like that. So I'm on um, yeah Instagram as vi- uh, at violin like that and also on Facebook um, or violin Ariella Zeitlin. So that's my name. And don't wear it out. And have a great day, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
to third grade. And we, uh, we've come full circle. You're back to teach in third grade. And again. listen to my music on Spotify and make sure to hit follow and oh, all that stuff. Yeah, Spotify is great, and and it's great that you listen to her on Spotify. But don't be don't be no freeloader. Go buy that mess on iTunes or Patreon. You know, cop and like sponsor me on Patreon. That's also even better than iTunes. That's right. That's true. Yeah, and if people are like, oh, I listen to you on Spotify. I'm like, thanks for the three tenths of a cent, bro. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if they buy, if you buy the music on Google Play or you buy the music on Amazon or you buy the music on iTunes, or you, better yet, go to Patreon and be a patron of the arts. Um, those things are all wonderful. Yeah. And that's what keeps artists uh, alive. And artists that are alive and well-fed are artists who can make more art. <laughs> totally, totally true. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you so much to you know, the Electric Violin Podcast. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> Booyah. Booyah. All right, so it's yeah, it's four forty-five in the afternoon here. What do you like? Eleven o'clock at night it's or something? It's quarter to twelve. Oh my goodness, go to bed! No, I'm not going to bed. Are you kidding me? I wake up at ten p.m. That's that's it. My <laughs> life has changed. The coronavirus has changed everything. The dang old COVID. <laughs> yes, what a fun conversation with an amazing talent. I can't wait until she comes back to the U.S. or I get to go to Israel. And we get to hang out again. So inspiring. Again, if you enjoyed this interview, please check out the other 51 episodes we've done and give us a 23-star rating or something and leave a comment so we know you were here. I cannot wait for you to hear who we've got on deck for next time. Another international star who is a huge name in our community. Whether you know this name or not, you definitely should. But that's a conversation for another day. We will see you next time with another rock star violinist. Hey, 